Welcome back, everyone. Another week of Taurus Tech Talk here at SG Taurus. I'm your host, Matt LePan. This week, once again, we're joined by one of our great technical support representatives. We have Russell Adamy on with us this week. Russell, welcome back to Tech Talk. Thanks for having me, Matt. Russell, today we're talking superheat and subcooling. More seasoned technicians or more seasoned folks in the industry might know just about everything there is to know about it, but there's plenty of folks out there who think they know, but they don't really know or don't know at all. Can you get into kind of the background information you need and the principles of superheating and subcooling, please? Sure. Superheat and subcooling are terms that are basically a measurement from temperature. One temperature of vapor, which is superheat, subcooling is the temperature of the liquid. It's important to us as technicians for a few reasons. Efficiency of the system, reliability, and longevity, the lifespan of the equipment. So to understand superheat, we have to know a few terms. The first two are the two different types of heat we deal with as service technicians. One is latent heat and one is sensible heat. Simple definitions. Sensible heat is heat that changes the temperature of a substance. We add heat to water, we go from 40 degrees up to 50 degrees, keep going. Latent heat is heat that changes the state of the fluid. An example latent heat is boiling water. When you get to 212 degree water at sea level, water boils. It's that changing of heat state from liquid to vapor that is the actual latent heat being absorbed by the water. Superheat and subcooling are based off of a temperature. And that is the boiling temperature of that liquid, whether it's boiling or whether it's condensing. We also call that the saturation temperature. The saturation temperature is that point where fluid changes to gas, liquid to gas, or gas back to liquid. Superheat is essentially the temperature of that gas or that vapor, or in water we call it steam, above the saturation temperature. So with water at sea level, atmospheric pressure, it boils at 212. If we increase the temperature of that gas, that steam above 212 to 222 degrees steam, we would say we've added 10 degrees of superheat. Subcooling works the exact opposite. It has to do with the liquid temperature. So if we cool our liquid, our water below 212, down to say 202, we now have 10 degrees of subcooling. It is a subcooled liquid. The next thing is saturation temperature or boiling point and how it's tied to pressure. It's very important. Here at sea level, we're at 14.7 pounds per square inch of pressure. That's basically the weight of the air and everything above us pushing down on us. As we increase pressure, we increase the boiling point of a liquid. In essence, this is how pressure cooker works. Most of us have used them or at least seen them. And what happens in a pressure cooker, it's a sealed vessel, we close it up, clamp it down and add heat. Once it reaches 212 degrees, 
that water is going to start to boil. As it boils, the steam created is going to increase the pressure in the vessel. As pressure goes up, it has a higher boiling temperature. So now instead of food cooking in 212 degree water, we can raise that so it's cooking at 220 degree water. And that's why it cooks faster, putting more heat into the meter vegetables at a faster pace. The main reason we have superheat in a system is because once that fluid, that water or that refrigerant is heated past its saturation temperature, the temperature of that vapor will not increase until 100% of the liquid has boiled off. Now, as far as compressors goes, compressors hate liquid, whether that be moisture in the system or liquid refrigerant returning to the compressor. You can do a number on the valves, a whole number of other things that take off the reliability and the lifespan of that compressor. By having superheat, we know that 100% of the refrigerant has boiled off and is now a gas, a vapor. So it will not damage the compressor. So when we talk about superheat within a system, we really have two different numbers that we look at. We look at what's called evaporator superheat, which has a lot to do with the efficiency of the evaporator and how much heat it picks up. And then either total or compressor superheat, which we measure near the compressor the service valves of the condensing unit. So we don't want any liquid refrigerant going to the compressor. So superheat is important when charging a fixed orifice system. Fixed orifice, we know it's static. It's just a tiny hole that refrigerant is forced through, drops the pressure and causes the refrigerant to boil. In order to maintain proper superheat, superheat that so we don't destroy the compressor, we have to maintain superheat through all types of conditions. 70 degree outdoor temperature, 70 degree indoor temperature, high humidity, low humidity. We have things that are called target superheat. If it's a fixed orifice system, we can look in the installation service manuals to find out our superheat. And that's based on Indoor air wet bulb temperature. Wet bulb versus dry bulb. Dry bulb, you look at your thermometer, it says it's 70 degrees. Wet bulb takes into account the amount of moisture in the air and the dew point. So we get a total picture of both sensible and latent heat we're absorbing. If we say charge a system at 70 degrees outdoor air temperature, and 70 degrees indoor temperature, and go for 10 degrees superheat. Well, when that outdoor temperature rises in the afternoon, say July, and goes up to 95 degrees, it's gonna increase our pressure in the condensing unit, which forces more refrigerant through the metering device and more refrigerant into the evaporator. Now, if it's forcing so much refrigerant in there, the amount of heat being absorbed doesn't boil it off 100%. We then have liquid going back to our compressor. Now, that could kill it in a day or instead of 15 years life of that compressor, it might go out in 10 years or five years. 
we don't know. So it's critical to use targeted superheat when charging with a fixed orifice metering device. So aside from keeping the system in good working order, keeping a compressor from being damaged, we also look at system performance, which comes down to evaporator efficiency. When we're looking at that, we're looking at non-fixed orifices metering devices. We're talking about thermostatic expansion valves. We're talking about electronic expansion valves. Electronic expansion valves and thermostatic expansion valves, or TXVs, in an air conditioning system is generally set for 10 degrees superheat at the outlet of the evaporator. And this is what we call evap the evaporator superheat. So it's going to open and close very little movements to maintain 10 degrees superheat coming out of that evaporator. And by doing that, it maximizes efficiency of the evaporator. And of course, that translates to electric bills for our customers. So those are the basics on superheat. If you need any more information, you definitely want to study it if you plan on being a technician. If you need any help, you can also give us a call here. I'm all up for in-depth conversations about superheat and subcooling. So now we'll talk about subcooling. For an air conditioning system to work properly, we need 100% liquid entering our metering device. The only way we can assure we have 100% liquid is by subcooling the liquid. Just as with superheat, where we need 100% of that liquid to be boiled off before creating the superheat, the temperature of that vapor going up, we need to know that we have 100% liquid. And the only way to do that is by subcooling. So for an example, if we say we want 10 degrees of subcooling with water at atmospheric pressure, again, 212 degrees, 10 degrees subcooling would mean 202 degree liquid. Because we're getting the subcooling and the liquid temperature is dropping, we know that 100% of the vapor has been condensed and we will not move vapor through our liquid line to our metering device. Subcooling is less dependent on outdoor air temperature because we charge by subcooling on non-fixed orifice metering devices. The manufacturer is going to tell you what they want for subcooling on that particular piece of equipment. It'll tell you 10 degrees, it'll tell you 14. It's whatever number the engineers determine to be best. So when we charge a system by subcooling, we need to bring that number up from zero to whatever's called for. The way to increase subcooling is by adding refrigerant. And the reason that is the more refrigerant added to the system, the liquid refrigerant backs up into that condensing coil. It spends more time with the fan pulling cooler outdoor air over the refrigerant, which when it's in its liquid state allows it to cool. And this is important for efficiency, reliability, and longevity also. Great. Well, thank you, Russell. And as Russell said, this is something that's pretty important when you're dealing with 
pretty much any equipment. You want to study up on this. Again, if you have questions, reach out to our technical support staff. You'll get put in a queue when you call the main number and ask for them. You'll get Russell or Phil or Ken or Mark or John if you're out on the Cape. They're all happy to help. They all know this stuff like the back of their hand. This is something they deal with pretty much every day. They all have a ton of experience in the field, so give them a call if you have any questions. I want to thank Russell again for coming on. Thank you all out there for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. If you can find a podcast, you can find us. Just search Taurus Tech Talk. Follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Use the hashtag Taurus Tech Talk. And as always, catch all of our podcasts on our website, sgtaurus.com backslash podcasts. One thank you again for tuning in. See you next week on Taurus Tech Talk.